Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Risk with Dr. Naveen Agarwal. Each week we talk about a topic related to risk management of medical devices in a very casual and informal way. This is not a webinar or lecture, rather our goal is to talk about key topics and challenges in a very informal way and share best practices. I'm your host Naveen Agarwal and I'm the principal and founder at Achieve where my personal mission is to help you achieve success in risk management. In this episode, I'm joined by Rene Drost, who has a background in the aviation industry, but now he's very active in the medical device space. The topic of our discussion is battery safety, particularly lithium-ion battery safety, as they are being used more and more in medical devices. Recently, there was a class one recall about batteries overheating in a very popular continuous glucose monitoring meter and the reader device that uses these batteries. Uh, we talked about many different topics related to this issue, including the importance of teamwork and diversity in your risk management team, because many times we cannot foresee all different scenarios. Reasonably foreseeable misuse is the requirement of 14971, but it becomes hard to foresee everything if we don't gather different perspectives. This discussion took place in front of a live audience as part of a LinkedIn live audio event. You're about to hear a recording of our conversation. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I want to invite you to introduce yourself a little bit to our audience. Uh, share you know, uh, your experience a little bit and uh, some of the pivotal moments in your career that have shaped uh, your experience and some key decisions. Well, thank you again, uh, Naveen. Um, I'm honored to be in the program, uh, and I really do like the concept, uh, 30 minutes and no stress for me as a speaker to prepare sheets timely. So, um, it's and it's fun, it's fun each time. Um, and I see when we're looking at the faces in the audience, I, I will tell something about my aviation background as well. I see some familiar faces in the aviation as well, so that's, that's a double fun then. Um, I was, um, the first half of my career, I was uh, active in the aviation industry. I was a technical officer in the uh, in the Netherlands Air Force, and I was at KLM. Uh, I was heading the maintenance unit of the Boeing 737 fleet of, of KLM. And in that time, I was member of many incident boards. Uh, because these, um, let me describe a little bit what, what happens there daily. Um, these airplanes were flying 24-7 and almost every day there was an incident. Let's call it an incident. In most cases, a very minor one because some component was showing a failure. And what happened then in many occasions is when that component was removed and checked in the workshop, there was no sign anymore of any defect. Uh, and there was an expression for that. It's called CND, could not du duplicate. So what happened is the component would, was, was um, um, put on the shelf again as serviceable and ready to be installed in another airplane. And the incident was closed as, and there was also an expression for that, isolated case. Which is not strange because uh, when there is an incident during flight, there are variables like outside pressure or outside temperature and not to forget the behavior of the pilot. And you cannot re repeat those in the workshop. Now, the message is, is that taking decisions to stop flying 
or based on that incident, uh, the decision itself is not is not that difficult. It's easy to say we stop flying, although the the consequences are enormous. But uh, the decision to restart your flying operations again a day later or a week later that's a difficult one because your storyline has to be very solid. There you have to explain why you stopped flying and what you what your your actions your mitigation actions actions have been. So the motto is safety first, mission always. That's for the that's my lessons learned in the aviation industry, um, but this is my, what I encounter in the medical device industry uh, as well. Um, Naveen, do you, do you yeah, that's, like me to, to, to go on or no? No, this is this is this is actually a great introduction because in the medical device industry, also we live in a similar world, right? We are doing post-market yeah. safety surveillance. We are receiving the you know, let's play the scenario of the recall, right? Let's say we are hearing uh, complaints about batteries overheating, batteries catching yes. fire. And we ask our engineers to duplicate that test. And to your point, maybe they cannot duplicate. They cannot figure out what's wrong. But we are hearing this back. And we are in the same situation. Do we recall the product yep. or not? Uh, yes. How, how can we continue with a product that could cause safety issues and harms to patients? So I think we live in a similar world. Maybe the sense of uh, crisis or urgency is not that high as in aviation, but there's a good parallel. So um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, I think we were talking just before uh, we got online here, is in a situation like that, how do you communicate your actions? How do you communicate what people need to do to continue safely using the product? Yes, yes. It's communication is key um, on several levels. If you write um, a field safety notice and send it to your customers, then in fact, that's where the problems start. And I will explain. Um, the classification in the US of recalls is, and you mentioned already as a class one recalls, the most serious recall category. However, in, in Europe, class one devices are the low risk devices. So class one, we have effect two categories, class one, the most severe one and, and the, the lowest risk one. So that's that's confusing. Now there is another one, and that's the first sentence of these failed safety notices contain the word voluntary. In it's a voluntary recall, and the the reason why it's called voluntary is because uh, it's just the way it's government speak to indicate that there is an understanding between the FDA and uh, the manufacturer to publish a field safety notice. So nothing wrong there. The problem is that in Europe, in, all, in Holland, for instance, when we read a translated document which contains the word voluntary, that's perceived as optional. Mm -hmm. It's perceived as this is not important. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so we can uh, uh, leave it in the, in, in the pile of our mail and we'll do it next week or the mm -hmm. week after. Mm -hmm. so, so voluntary recall, it's, it's, uh, and it's some of my messages all the time in the Netherlands, that is government speak. To indicate, to indicate that there is an understanding between the FDA and the manufacturer. So it's a regular recall that you have to take serious. Mm -hmm. Now, and there, is, and there is a third element. And in this particular case of this recall, um, which is not sent to hospitals, but it is sent to end users. So people receive these letters at home. And when they're not used to reading formal letters, they, will make, they could make the wrong decisions to either uh, stop using not necessarily, or or uh, keep on using, <laughs> and which could be unsafe as well. 
That's a good point. So language so, must be simple. Language must be simple. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. So uh, let's let's talk about again coming back to this particular case in the context of lithium-ion battery safety, right? So in this particular case, the issue really was people were using a different USB charger and a cable uh, that was not sort of qualified. Uh, the manufacturer had recommended people or instructed people to use their a USB charger and cable. But people were yes. using a different one, which is, in my opinion, reasonably foreseeable misuse. And ISO 14971 talks about that, right? Uh, then uh, they were exposed to uh, liquids. They were mishandled. You know, dirt and foreign material was collecting at the USB port. You know, something like that could happen to a portable device and people don't really think too much about it. But this is a medical device. So my question to you now is, uh, knowing what we know now, uh, and it, by the way, also another point is that FDA has classified this as a device design issue. What should the designers be thinking about when they design this, design a product? Certainly they focus on the battery itself and the different components and how it works. But what else should they be doing? Yes, I, I think when when putting a product like this on the market with one charging uh, cable, uh, it's quite naive to... Uh, believe that people will will stick to that one cable. When people go on holiday, they will have um, uh, an, an extra one, which they just buy uh, in in a warehouse, um, that not not in the not not, not in the uh, in the official uh, Abbott store. So um, th that's what the what the designer should have realized um, that that this that there is no one on one. Um, relationship between the uh, the reader and the and the cable it should be, mm -hmm. um, and you know I think yeah. I think that's exactly where fourteen nine seventy one framework is so powerful because if you do the reasonably foreseeable misuse analysis correctly, you would provide that feedback into the design input process. I mean engineers, you know they have so many problems to solve they don't they cannot anticipate everything, but as risk practitioners I think it's our role to help them visualize different scenarios. And I believe that could happen. So I, I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on uh, maybe in your space, in your experience through the aviation industry, you you brought the example of components. Are there practices that we can learn from that help us improve our design process? Um, well, the, the I think in the design process from the very, very first beginning, there should be a link to quality management systems. Uh -huh. uh, that's including risk management. That's including the communication aspect. So one of the one of the education uh, elements of of all this is: Does the user realize what a lithium battery is in the end? Because we think that is normal. A battery is a battery. Yeah, and we all know batteries from the past. But these batteries are they're, these are monsters. The, when, when they get overheated, when you uh -huh. leave, when you leave in the car. And the sun is shining; they get hot, uh -huh. and they will go. And that's what you explained already into a thermal runaway. Uh -huh. um, and and you cannot stop it. If anyone in the audience is is a sailor, has to realize that if his mobile phone on a ship goes on fire, catches fire, don't even think of it to try to uh, to to stop the fire because you will you will fail. There's the only thing one one thing you can do is throw it overboard. <laughs> And that yeah. wouldn't work. That wouldn't work. So the whole point here, I think, is that collectively in our risk management process, we have to work together 
as teamwork to identify these different foreseeable scenarios is what I would call yes. them. And the more Absolutely. work we do up front, the better input we provide to our designers and engineers to solve those problems. And we do it in a system, at a, at a system level. And I think we have had conversations on this forum uh, with uh, several folks actually who are in the audience today. We have talked about safety, engineering system safety. Uh, those principles somehow we could bring back into our medical device. So before I open up um, for uh, for discussion, Rene, I have one more uh quick topic to discuss with you. We know that uh, standards are important. We know that standards help us to establish safety and performance requirements. Uh, and I became aware of this IEC 62133 standard applicable to batteries. And I also found out that FDA has recognized that as a voluntary consensus standard for medical devices. So I hope people are following that. But are you aware of any other um, sort of standards or Anything else going on, especially in Europe, about lithium-ion battery safety? Yes, there is um, a process of, of this um, uh, regulating medical devices by means of the medical device regulations, which okay. is the, the new regulation which is applicable since May, the month of May in 2021. And this regulation uses harmonized standards. Uh -huh. This one is not on the list still, uh -huh. but will absolutely come, I think. Uh, there is, though, a new regulation, which is, let's say, parallel to the MDR, which is published um, just a few weeks ago. It's, it says number 1542. And there is some strange wording about medical devices in there. It, it's, it seems like it's limited to imaging and radiotherapy uh, medical devices. Probably it is meant all medical devices. But there is absolutely a gap in, in, the, in the regulations uh, side here. Mm -hmm. So I, I, so I think... I think in the future we're gonna we're gonna see more work and more focus, especially now that we are hearing uh, recalls like yes. uh, the the recall we talked about, and even uh, well publicized stories on the news media about you know Tesla's catching fire. So I think battery yes. safety will become important. So guys, um, this is great, excellent conversation, and um, floor is open. So you know how it works. Uh, raise your hand virtually. I think you can find that in the menu option on your screen. And I'll bring you on stage one by one. David, you are requesting to speak, so I'll bring you on. And guys, uh, don't wait uh, for your turn or anything like that. Show me your hands and I'll bring you up on stage so that I can have more than one people at, at one time. Yeah. And that way, all of us can uh, share our thoughts as much as possible. We have very limited time. So David, you are on. Uh, please uh, share what you have in mind. Thank you, Rene. Fascinating conversation. It struck me as you were talking and I'm curious if you see this across industries, but it seems like, especially on very complicated products, meaning, you know, cyber physical, there's probably teams of experts working on their silos. But when you look at safety or hazards from a system perspective, if it can be addressed by something as simple as someone buying the wrong cord, it, it seems like there needs to be a bigger kind of systemic approach to not only understanding, but to communicating what these risks yep. are. I'm just, I'm curious what your thoughts are. That may not be a question as much as a prompt. Yeah, I, sure. I absolutely agree with you, uh, David. There, there's um, many more things uh, to, to, to do, especially in the fields of communication and educate. And it's what you said and what Naveen also in his introduction already mentioned. It's, it's as simple as that. The device itself is fine. Uh, the reader itself is fine. 
but it's just the combination with the cable. Yeah. And, you know, I think really, think, and, and David, let's think about our own daily lives, right? We are so familiar with things that we do, we generally are not able to anticipate. And for an engineer working on, um, you know, a very complicated product, they have very difficult problems to solve. Um, and, and then common sense thing would be, why would anyone use the wrong cable when I'm giving them the right cable? Well, hey, let's look at our own life. So I think someone has to bring some common sense and some perspective. So diversity in thinking. In your team, you must have diversity. And as risk practitioners, I think we should be good facilitators. Uh, Bijan, thank you for joining us. I want to welcome you. And uh, please unmute your mic. Share what you have in mind. Uh, hi. Hi, um, I, I used to actually live in the Netherlands. Um, uh, so good topic. Uh, uh, as Nadine was mentioning, Anticipation of a reasonably foreseeable misuse is key. And in this case, uh, anticipation of using the wrong cable or even the wrong charger is reasonable. So I think it's incumbent on the design engineers to build in safety mechanisms, assuming this will happen. And these could be done in the forms of uh, protective circuits, uh, internal temperature sensors, cutoff circuits, things like that. Yeah, and Bijan, I think it... Uh many solutions. I know we have such smart people in our industry and I have full faith in the Abbott team working very hard to fix this problem. It's a big, big product for them. I have full faith. I think the key point we should emphasize here is that risk practitioners like us have to be aware of pitfalls in kind of not anticipating these type of situations. And we also are not perfect. So we have to rely on Many of our peers, and I, I, you know, we had a conversation with Hugo Felix recently about collaboration and teamwork. A recording is available, guys, on our Let's Talk Risk newsletter. You can take a look at that. So let's not forget that. So, Bijan, you're making a great point that once we are aware of reasonably foreseeable misuse, we can find great solutions. The problem is uh, how to bring that awareness. So I really appreciate that. You, you brought up a good point yourself about diversity in, in your teams in your risk management team. Yes. Uh, because that will help you see the problem from many different perspectives and increases the probability of you catching these yes. pieces. Yes. Now, one, one quick point before I invite Ed uh, to share his thoughts is you may not be able to foresee everything, but it's incumbent upon you to learn during post-market and improve your foresight. So it's a never-ending story, right? Now, I hope uh, the team has learned from these recalls. And that's one reason why I talk about recalls on my newsletter with great analysis all the time, because I think we can learn from that. Uh, okay, so Ed, you are on. Please share your thoughts. Hello, Naveen and, and everyone. Uh, this Ed, I think we are losing you. Uh, could you please check your uh, connection on your side? Otherwise, I'll give you a moment. Uh, please stay stay on. I will invite Roger to share his thoughts. Please stay on. Roger, uh, please unmute your mic. Yes, I'd, I have to admit I've been uh, parts of meetings where these kinds of oversights have been discovered after the fact too late. And in, in our case, and everyone looked at each other and said, yeah, we, we thought we went through the the risk mitigation processes adequately, 
obviously we didn't. So that diversity, that team effort uh, is so important. And I know in my own case, those projects were under some management constraint, all the more important that people who were close to this uh, voice their opinions on some of these things as soon as they know it. In another case I can think of, another reason to do this is every time you put something down in your risk management file, risk mitigations, as when you're documenting them, you're, you're, you're writing a book for the people gener- who are going to be designing the next generation design or the designs after that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, I, I, can, I can remember uh, um, charging, separate charging coils, kind of like we use these days for wireless charging on a phone that were designed without strain release uh, mm-hmm. down in the connectors. And now this was caught in a design review and it came up and the, the design team's answer was, well, we designed it just way just the way the uh, cords are designed on old products, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is not really a good thing to do. Well, uh, I- but, but, but uh, you know, that's how some of these problems kind of keep mitigating if they uh, aren't solved right the first time and aren't documented uh, correctly for people, even if the design team yeah. moves on, the yeah. new design team, as inexperienced as they should be, should be looking in those old risk yeah. files. Yeah, and I think the point you are making is that if that is uh, somehow missed, it's as risk practitioners, it's our role to be aware of that and bring it forward. Uh, Ed, I hope I uh, thank you for sharing that, Roger. Ed, I hope you have uh, now a better connection. Please uh, try again. Can you hear me? Uh, looks like, Ed, you are still having problems connecting, but we can see you on our stage. Guys, um, we still have about five, ten minutes or so, so if anybody wants to share their thoughts, I'm going to invite Vijay now. One, one more start. Go ahead, please, Bijan, go ahead. Yeah, uh, so one question you can ask is that how can we make ourselves better equipped in predicting uh, anticipating these reasonably foreseeable misuses? Uh, yeah. How can we increase our prediction powers? One way is to uh, read the recall stories that Naveen, for example, is publishing about other products, similar products. They could clue your thoughts into, yes. well, this could also happen to us. It's not our product, but it yeah. could be. So that improves your powers of prediction. Yes, you're so right about that, Bijan. Uh, I, I think we should just accept that perfection is not the goal here. The goal here is continued learning awareness and humility to accept the fact that we don't know everything, right? And and connecting with people, and that's what we try to do in these discussions and forums, and that's why I'm so personally energized by so many people showing up week after week. So I love this. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Vishnu, you are on. Please uh, unmute your mic and share what you have in mind. Hey, uh, Vishnu, we can barely hear you, so yes. Are you able to hear me now? Yes, perfect. We can hear you now. Go ahead. Perfect. So uh, this is really a serious issue, and there are, uh, pre- I mean, there are some ways to mitigate it. Is like uh, putting it a smart charger. No matter what kind of cable people use, there are ways. If it is uh, going beyond the temperature, beyond the voltage levels, then it can uh, stop it. If you uh, have observed, if you the one of the best example of this being implemented is Apple. So Apple devices are not getting really 
fast charged by other cables so this way we can we can mitigate it <laughs> and another another way we can uh, we can really need to look at it is the regulatory approvals are considered just as a formality and not really following it up <laughs> so people go reverse way so they build the product they try to sell and then they want it to be approved now so the design considerations were not done uh, and the regulatory procedure is just considered as a formality and the, the especially in case of startups yeah. and uh, there is a lot of push from vcs to make them money right yeah, yeah. so i think vishnu uh, what i'm hearing you say is uh, you know absolutely another true in our environment we live in uh, a couple of things i will say is that first i believe that engineers are smart and they can figure out solutions so to me the gap is up front in in setting up uh, design requirements uh, the point you mentioned about regulatory process is very very interesting you know i, I totally agree with you on many points uh, what my thinking is I, i believe is that just passing through the gate of regulatory approval or clearance is the starting step it's up to us to do ongoing continued monitoring that's what 14971 also asks us to do right continued monitoring of safety and effectiveness and taking actions i think that our industry needs to get a little bit better on that don't you guys agree uh, guys you you can show your reaction using the react button uh, if you like something if you agree with something uh, share how you are feeling because you know this forum doesn't allow us to engage in a more direct way so uh, thumbs up there is no thumbs down i'm so happy about that so a lot of thumbs up um Ed, you're on. Let's let's try to get you uh, to uh, to share your thoughts if you can. Yes, I don't know where I dropped out, uh, Naveen, because I was talking, and then all of a sudden, when I shut up, I didn't hear anything. No, so, so I don't Ed, know. start from the beginning, please. <laughs> we we can't hear you. Okay, um, what I uh, was talking about uh, was batteries. and all of the uh, situations that uh, batteries are now part of our daily lives we carry around backup batteries we have them on our phones and our laptops and um, even automobiles and this week any car carrier uh, was on fire off the netherlands uh, because of a battery fire in one of the cars mm-hmm. and uh They, I think there was one life lost and 25 people had to evacuate <laughs> and it took them a week to get the fire out. So um, it's it's a, a that big a deal there. But when we travel on airliners, the uh, uh, airlines now have bags uh, that the flight crews are trained <laughs> to, uh, if there's a fire on the plane, to come around and retrieve that um, uh, problem device whatever it is your laptop your phone or your backup battery and put them in this bag and so they can land the yeah. aircraft safely yeah so it's everywhere yeah and, and we need to take that into account but one thing i did want to do david is we have a, a distinguished uh, person in the audience today uh, that i wanted to recognize uh, this week uh, susan needle uh, was um made a uh a fellow of the regulatory affairs professional society and she needs recognition for that but 
I think uh, it looks like she's dropped out since I... <laughs> but it's, I, uh, it's I, awesome, I, Ed. Thanks for sharing that. And yes, um, we should recognize our colleagues in the industry where they are. Um, thank you for bringing that up. It's so good to hear uh, such distinguished colleagues in our, in our community. I really appreciate what you said, Ed, about uh, battery safety. And I think I expect to see a lot more discussion on this in our industry. So guys, uh, we are almost at the end of our time. So I'm going to give a couple of minutes to Renee to think about some closing comments. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm going to share with you a couple of quick housekeeping notes. Uh, first thing is we're going to resume our weekly conversations now. We took a break in July, so you can expect to have, um, you know, show up again next Friday at 11, like always, and we will be having more discussions. Second, as you know, in case you miss any of this, you can subscribe to the Let's Talk Risk newsletter. The link for that is in the comment section for this event announcement. You can go in there, uh, just subscribe at naveenagarwalphd.substack.com. Uh, we have launched several premium features. A lot of stuff is still going to be available for free. But if you are interested in some of the premium features, you know, sign up for a very affordable paid subscription as well. Finally, uh, all of you, I believe, without exception, have insights to share. And I invite you to raise your hand and reach out to me if you want to be a guest speaker. As you can see, guys, this is very low stress. No preparation needed. Only thing is needed is your willingness to share your expertise with other people. Okay? So raise your hand if you're interested in joining me as a guest speaker. We have plenty of opportunities. Please reach out to me via LinkedIn or uh, just look me up. So with that, uh, Renee, um, I would invite you to just close with a few uh, top of uh, mind ideas that people can take away from. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, uh, when we were talking about uh, foreseeable misuse and about diversity in the team, I, I thought what, what a good uh, step would be to have a sort of trend watcher in your team. <laughs> and I will explain. I asked a friend of mine who's using the Abbott sensor, uh, what type of reader you have? And he said, I don't. I don't have any reader because the data go directly into my mobile phone, mm -hmm. which is uh, uh, commercially, let's say, uh, uh, I understand not a good solution for, for, for the manufacturer, but it is a solution. Now, this mobile phone, of course, has battery also. So, so for that reason, uh, it's not really uh, false free, mm -hmm. but uh, there are creative solutions yes. for this. Absolutely. And I think, you know, no idea is a bad idea. We just have to figure out what is the best possible solution. Uh, Renee, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation today. I enjoyed it. You know, I'm very energized and very excited about future conversations. Uh, guys, next week, you don't want to miss this. Christy Johnson is in the audience. She's going to be my guest. And we're going to talk about the role of empathy in helping out small manufacturers, small medical device companies to build a quality and risk culture. Christy is the expert to talk about that. Don't miss this. I will be announcing this on my feed uh, on LinkedIn. So uh, just show up. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, formal email or registration. Block your calendar every 11 a.m. Eastern on Friday for a great conversation with us. Thank you guys again for attending. Look forward to seeing you again. Have a good weekend, everybody. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you, Naveen. Bye-bye.